Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live, coming into your cars and living rooms and spaceships. Hardcore Marketing Show, exciting to announce my guest today. Really excited. We're going to have a conversation. We're going we're gonna to try our best, both of us, to keep it on target, but you know how this goes. We're going to go on tangent. I can't wait to go on a thousand tangents. This is going to be good. Uh, this is a data. This is an analytics. This is a futuristic show. That is a theme today. My guest, he's an analytics entrepreneur. He's an author. He's written three books on analytics. He's he just breathes the stuff um, so to the point where he's going to talk about how AI comes into play with that. Uh, so author, professor, Harvard Innovation Lab, VIP, co-founder, president, and CTO of Squark, which we'll talk about. Judah Phillips, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Casey. Thanks for having me aboard. I'm very excited to be on the show today. Man, I'm excited to learn from you here today and probably talk about a thousand other things at the same time. Likewise. Have a grand old time. Yep. It's Friday. It's Friday for us. So anyone listening on a Tuesday can be like, well, I can pretend like it's a Friday. So if it's not Friday today, it is for the next hour or so for you listening to this. So, hey, let's get right into it. We're going to talk analytics, data, um, even AI and futuristic marketing, smash for me some bogus strategy. Here, here you go. This is Thor's hammer. So take <laughs> that. I'm taking it. Yes, the hammer. And smash some bogus marketing strategy, some myths you've heard out there. Maybe it's around reporting or analytics even. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, I've got a grip on the hammer. Let me start swinging it now. I'm yes. in the process of smashing it. The first thing I would smash is this overemphasis in belief in KPIs and dashboards. Now, don't get me wrong. KPIs and dashboards are helpful, but they're descriptive and diagnostic, um, you know, sometimes leading indicators, but mostly lagging indicators of your business performance. And marketers are being asked to look at these dashboards and KPIs uh, that may just be data tables. They may have some fancy visualizations and determine how to drive their business forward. Right. Uh, the, the myth, though, is that, you know, how, how do you do that uh, when you're looking backwards to drive forwards, right? KPIs and dashboards are, are like, you know, driving your car forward while looking in the rearview mirror. Oh, uh, yeah. That was not going to work saying? very well. That's not going to work very well. <laughs> so you got to kind of smash this myth that, you know, dashboards and KPIs alone in time series charts uh, and, you know, trend lines in the awesome related visualizations that result are actually uh, going to fully help you drive your marketing outcomes and your marketing performance. They're you know, helpful, Casey. Don't get me wrong. They're helpful, yeah, helpful. right? But they're not the end all and be all. Uh, there's a lot more out there today uh, that can help. Tell me about leading and lagging indicators. I think this is a really important concept, but we should all get just super familiar on. Yeah. So like a, a leading indicator is something that, you know, is, is, indicating uh, or letting you know that something may be likely to happen in the future, right? So for example, if you, you know, start to see a lot of, uh, you know, traffic to your website or traffic to your landing page, right? 
uh, you hope that's an indicator, like a leading indicator that there's going to be some conversion, right? Right. When you start to think of the marketing life cycle, things like, um, you know, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit pie in the sky theory here, right? Yeah. Uh, people are become, you know, activated, right? For a purchasing need, uh, whether it's B2B or B2C. Uh, and then they start to um, consider, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and maybe they have some favorability, right? And then they kind of get into an acquisition and, you know, conversion and behavior, retention, loyalty, that, you know, that's the type of funnel. So a leading indicator is letting you know that uh, somebody is kind of approaching that tipping point where there's something that's going to happen that's valuable, right? That there's a lot of traffic coming to your landing page and, you know, that's good because it's a leading indicator that somebody's going to convert, hopefully. Right. Now, a lagging indicator, you know, is kind of like conversion, right? It's already happened, you know? Right. Um, conversion might be a leading indicator for, you know, future revenue. But so sometimes... Metrics can be either or or both, right? But what we really try hard to do is is identify, you know, those that are most important to the business in these dashboards. And they're often just a smattering of multiple different uh, metrics and, and, you know, different granularities that are attempting to kind of give you the the tea leaves at the bottom of the cup and you're left to like predict the future on that. Yeah. Again, I'm not completely disdaining the KPI or the dashboarding approach or, you know, looking at leading and lagging indicators if you if they truly are so. Uh, but that's just one modality to run your your marketing business with. Right, right. So, and I'm thinking, you know, lagging indicators like you you had this amount of sales last month. You know, yeah, that's that's exactly yeah. Yeah. Whereas a leading indicator could be one of many things, but it might be like you said, website visits, or it might even be, you know new leads captured or something further on that may eventually convert, you know, or even new opportunities created in some sense could be like, this is what we're looking at going forward as opposed to this happened in the past. Correct. Correct. And when you start to look at the research coming out from various analyst firms, they, you know, and I know this research, uh, so this is Gartner. It's probably about a year and a half old though, but something like 74% of companies were doing descriptive analytics. Uh, Descriptive is, you know, just describing what happened, right? Like, you know, this happened, that happened, and here's how many times something happened. Uh, Here's the frequency of that happening. Again, uh, descriptive. It was something like 31% or so, and I'm sure this has gone up since this research came out. At least I'd hope so. We're doing diagnostic analysis, right? That as a result of this data, right, I can diagnose the problem, like your high bounce rate, right? Your landing pages suck, right? So, I know that's such a simple and in, in quotidian everyday metric these days, but the idea of, you know, using data, not just to describe what has happened, but to diagnose why something's happening. Right. right. And these are kind of insights can come from that, but these are largely backward looking indicators on things to, to describe and to diagnose based on what's happened in the past. Right. Right. Where, you know, when I started to really focus my career on, you know, machine learning and AI, it was because I was, you know, honestly, kind of getting tired of doing digital analytics and, and telling people much of the same stuff over and over again. Right. You know, I realized that that kind of half of the rubric, the descriptive and diagnostic, um, was was reaching a point where in order to take the, the next necessary actions, you needed more. And so on the other side of that coin, there's the predictive, right, and the prescriptive. The idea of predictive being predicting, you know, well, how many uh, uh, new uh, marketing qualified leads are we going to have next month? 
right? right? And then the prescriptive being, you know, knowing that we're going to have um, these predictions, you know, what do we do about them? You know, what do we do next? Or, or what action do we take as a result of these prescriptions or predictions, excuse me. So uh, when you start to look at the research, shockingly, only, again, according to Gardner, a couple of years, a year and a half old, uh, 10% of companies are doing a prediction, despite all the hype, right? Despite all the stuff you hear about uh, predictive analytics and, um, it, you know, it's, it's importance only one every 10. And then when you start to look at prescription where, you know, we have, we may have multiple predictions and we need to pick the best one, uh, or we need to figure out the next best action. It, it was something like one in 100. So a lot of the, the, you know, projects around prediction and prescription outside of the really large companies I think are, you know, either just getting off the ground or they're largely aspirational. Um, and, you know, I started solving for that a couple of years ago, right? Got it. Work in my current company. So, you know, I think when you're looking at those leading and lagging indicators and describing and diagnosing things, and you're just looking at KPIs and dashboards to your point about dispelling the myths, you know, smashing it even further into pieces with Thor's hammer, right? You, you have to start thinking, you know, what comes after that? Right. And that's right. prediction and prescription. And that's something that, uh, you know, in marketing, we talk about a lot, but clearly yeah. the research indicates not a lot of people are doing. Definitely talk. Marketers like to talk and, <laughs> and write content or speak. So do analysts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So do analysts. <laughs> and, you know, this is the way to go. This is the future, but they're not actually doing it. In my head, as, you, as you're home, I think one of the reasons is. Sometimes we just aren't clear on what the definitions you just described. And we think, oh, hey, here's my, my lead count. This is my lead count on my leads. And you're not looking at it in the context of a larger thing. You're just looking in the past. You may not know that you're actually looking at lagging indicators. You may think that's some futuristic prescriptive thing, but really it isn't. So I think we're, a lot, we're like unclear. And I, and I thought about like casinos. I think it's a roulette, right? So you like you walk around, but they always have these boards. Have you seen those? Those Oh yeah. The spinning wheels. Well, so yeah, they have the spinning wheels, but they, they tend to have these number boards up right next to them. That show oh yes. Yes. All the numbers that were previously landed, whether it was black or red and what numbers came up as if, if, yeah, as if a bunch, exactly. of, bunch of red that don't worry. A bunch of red has happened. Do whatever you want with that information, but it actually means nothing to what means something. In the future. Correct. And so yeah. I think sometimes people think it does. And so they're like, oh, well, we had a bunch of white, so we should probably put one on red here. It's going it, to. It's a good analogy. Out. You know, now, now when I go to the casinos, uh, which are few and far between, uh, unless I'm in Vegas or down Rhode Island, I, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I guess where we live, you know, in, in Boston, Casey, we're going to have a casino soon. But my game is Baccarat, right? That's what I really like. Oh, man. You're like James Bond over here. That's actually probably why I played it. You know, it's one totally time, why you play it. yeah, you know, without a doubt, it's maybe the reason I like Vespers. Um, you know, on a total digression, one time I did go to uh, Lisbon. I spoke at a, a conference called ICOM, the International Conference for Online Media Measurement, Ooh. and uh, it was in the Casino Estero, which is a Estoril is a small town outside of uh, uh, Lisbon, and the Casino Estoril is the largest casino in. Uh, Europe, as I understand it. Whoa. And it is next to a hotel called the Hotel Palacio. So let me tell you why I'm telling you all this. So the Hotel Palacio is where Ian Fleming 
apparently uh, created James Bond uh, in the in the hotel lobby bar there. Uh, Portugal at the time was a neutral state, I guess, in World War II, and so it was uh, rife with espionage. This bar was filled with Axis and Allied powers, and even Fleming kind of saw this espionage and created this idea of James Bond. And I believe, um, actually, one of the early James Bond films with Sean Connery was uh, filmed in the Hotel Palacio. Now, let me turn it, you know, right to the modern day. The Casino Estoril. Um, you know, think of, think of, can you think of any of the, the recent James Bond uh, movie titles? Casino Royale, right? Yeah. So that was the Casino Royale. So without a doubt, I'm influenced uh, by James Bond and probably why I play Baccarat. But to your point, like, you know, people say, do you bank on the, uh, the player or the banker? You know, who do you bet on, right? You pay a little bit more when you bet on the banker. Um, and, you know, people like to sit there with their pencils and pens and write down like is it player banker player banker as if to the point of you know red or black or these numbers that that actually is meaningful when the reality is in gambling right uh these are just independent you know chances and probably right right so yeah yeah um it's good good analogy and and that's our first awesome digression i hope that was interesting yeah and many more to come i hope i mean james bond the original did you happen to wear a tuxedo to that event because that would have been perfect no, I didn't, but there was a formal gala dinner with apparently a Michelin, you know, starred chef. And there wow. were some folks in, a, uh, you know, tuxedos. A little, little black tie and, you know, I think, put your I hand in your pocket, a, you know, all the security will go, go crazy. That's right. I had more of the Silicon Valley jeans, you know, button up. And got it. Like, jacket, you know, yeah, yeah, got it. Got it. I don't think I don't think out of the Bruins hat. Where am I today? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Got it. So, yeah, so they're confused and or something and not even realizing the future tense versus the past tense and i get it you got bored you've you've written three books and you're working in analytics and it's like we're looking in the past this is boring right (laughs) like it's already happened where's the guesswork where's the fun you're not you're not gambling or betting on anything you're not trying to figure anything out it's not hard it just you're just reporting what happened yeah and what really you know digital analytics became was a lot about you know getting the data collection right Right. Yeah. And then these sort of, you know, you know, back in the day, there was this idea the analysts would be able to, uh, you know, tell you what to do with your business. And let's face it, like the, the management and the leaders of the business, you know, use data and a constellation of other points to, you know, determine what they do. They're not looking for the, you know, analyst to, you know, kind of tell them what to do. Right. They right. may suggestion, they may like <laughs> say, what do you think? Right. But ultimately they want the data uh, to be able to make that decision. And so I started thinking, well, what's a better way to do that? And, you know, prediction and, and prescriptions. Yeah. You know, clearly a, a better way to do that. The idea being, if you can uh, predict what's going to happen in your business in the future, well, you can make better decisions about what Hell to yeah. do now, right? Right. Uh, and, and that's going to be infinitely more helpful than looking in the back, right, in the back window or looking in the rearview mirror and trying to drive forward. Let's use prediction so that we can keep our our, our our profile, our, our eyes looking directly ahead, right? At the road ahead of us, steering right. in the right direction, you know, kind of knowing, hey, I've got to take an exit in, you know, in two miles or, you know, hey, look, there's a there's an accident up ahead. I need to go take this different road, right? right? Uh, prediction gives you the, you know, the, the traffic conditions and the, the state of what's coming up ahead right. before you know, right? You don't want to be looking in the rearview mirror and driving into the telephone pole around that corner, right? It's well, that example is so it makes total sense. Like you can't possibly drive the car looking backwards. It just 
not going to work. Unless you're on the highway, maybe it's a straight road in <laughs> Illinois. But other than yeah. that, those set conditions. Yeah. You're on autopilot in your Tesla oh, or something. Oh, like oh that. yeah. That's sure, a, sure. Yeah. But, but again, that's yeah. a prediction right there because it's predicting, you know, when, when it needs to stop turn, you know. Or yeah, you're not predicting, but it's predicting. Yeah. It's the AI. So by, maybe this is another myth then too. What does it take to do that? Do you need wizards and high towers, analysts, data scientists in thousands of data points? What does it take to do that? So that's another great question. So, you know, uh, this is going to require me to talk a little bit about, you know, my thesis and why me and my co-founder, Dan, created a Squark, S-Q-U-A-R-K, so squarkai.com. If you go to squark.ai, you'll also find it as well. But, you know, several years ago, um, before the hype around AI or machine learning, uh, both Dan and I realized being, you know, experts and analytics practitioners or supposed experts, and definitely oh, analytic, supposed, and definitely. Well, I'll let you yeah, know. I will, show. That, thanks, thanks. You know, uh, you know, uh, you can't really call yourself that. So that's why I say you. Know, or a so, guru. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people say that about you, but you know, we're supposedly uh, me and Dan. We know we've been around the block, and you know, we we kind of know this stuff pretty well. But we started to think of like what was difficult in our careers. What what was difficult? Dan ran a really large. Uh, 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 agency around bi you know consulting shop. nice I, I thought you were gonna say hedge fund but agency works. <laughs> yeah, no, agency more <laughs> like you got more like you um <laughs> uh and you know i've my background is i you know i've had a, a boutique consultancy and analytics and i've worked with you know the biggest brands in the world and then i worked at brands and in earlier parts of my careers you know for example i ran analytics globally at monster.com you know every site worldwide you know back when it had super bowl ads and you know blimps and stadiums right. were named after right? in the boom days uh you know we had uh you know nearly 100 million unique visitors and we had you know terabytes or even petabytes of data and we didn't call it big data and we had you know the SaaS team reported into me for a while not the whole time uh and we didn't call it data science right but we were exposed, and I think Dan was saying, we were exposed to lots of different things. And so when we, you know, got together, we decided to create a capability for democratizing, you know, data science. Right. Uh, and we started with machine learning. And Because uh, what do you normally, do you normally need a lot for that? Well, data or money or uh, resources? All like normally all, all like a thousand data points. It has to all be clean. <laughs> you need a data scientist to read the tea leaves. Well, you know, uh, so or there's no, a lot of there's a, well there's a, no there's a lot of it depends that's the MBA answer question right depending mm -hmm. on use cases and stuff but if I was picking up you know Thor's hammer yeah, again pick up the hammer I think that would be another myth that I would smash is that you know you need a lot of data or you need a lot of clean data to do uh, AI you know right. or to do machine learning if you will uh, and so you know before we go there what Dan and I uh, we decided to do was uh, create a capability for, you know, non-technical users, for business people, for, you know, quote unquote, citizen data scientists. These are people who have knowledge of data and, you know, uh, their business and some of what you can do with data, but they don't necessarily have the, uh, the hardcore, you know, data science knowledge, right? The PhD mm -hmm. information. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Pun intended, right? Uh, uh, and so they can't code, right? Or they don't have, you know, fluency in, you know, all the different languages or algorithms. So we right. wanted to create it, pro provide and create a capability where they could simply upload their data, pick their targets, so what they, their dependent variable, what they wanted to predict, uh, and then pick their predictors or their independent variables and very quickly get the best quality predictions. Now, it's taken us, a, you know, a couple years to kind of build it out. 
but you know, now we're going gangbusters. So uh, the reality where it's, it's so easy a Casey could do it. Yes, sir. A Viking yeah, version of, of, of yeah, yeah. Even even like a like a, a miniaturized Viking version of you could do nice. it, as long as you could drag that mouse. Yes. Uh, but a hundred percent, you know. Um, for example, we have customers who literally take their Salesforce leads table and the wins and losses historically. They drag and drop it into the tool, uh, and then at the next step, they drag in the the new leads, the ones that they want to predict might be MQLs or you know uh, SQOs. Uh, depending on, you know, the data they have, how they label their historic data, their training data. And then we build the best possible model and run the data that you've uploaded and give you the predictions in minutes. Right. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, it, it beating hand-coded models, uh, doing more with less, right, um, than, say, even Salesforce or PodArt do with Pardot, excuse my Massachusetts accent there as I drop the R. Pardot. Marketers won't on you. Yeah. <laughs> no, we won't. We won't francophile it. Uh, but Pardot, you know, a lot more than what Einstein, you know, is capable of doing. Right. right. Okay. And so to, to your, so, you know, even if you look at what Salesforce and Pardot is doing with Einstein, right, they're kind of limiting the amount of data you can run. They're not allowing you to kind of pick the columns you want to include. It's kind of all or nothing. They're not really giving you a high quality well, I can't say high quality. They're not really giving you a detailed assessment of which variables, which columns in your, your data or features in your data are important. And they're, uh, you know, they're, they're certainly not applying uh, machine learning to your data, right? Um, it's general linear models. It's logistic so regression. Down, like, what you are the guy to ask is, what is machine learning? Right. It's a great question. So there's two types of machine learning. Um, okay. There's unsupervised machine learning. Huh. And th these are, these are, and they're supervised machine learning. Got it. So supervised machine learning is what Squark does and what you would traditionally consider AI, right? Uh, and unsupervised machine learning um, is what other people do. We actually have some capabilities to do unsupervised machine learning. Uh, that exist uh, on on a separate plan. but like just at a but higher even higher just level just at a higher level. So uh, supervised machine learning is where you're learning from uh, data representations, where you're learning from labeled data uh, through a process called training. So, for example, if I had uh, my leads table and I have all this information about my leads, and historically I've known whether they've won or lost, you know, they've converted or not, they've yeah. become MQLs or not, I can learn from all of that information and the properties and the patterns in it. And I can have an algorithm, have an, have an intelligence, build me a model mm. right, that, that uh, I can then run against new data that I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to convert. I don't know if they're going to become the right type of lead. And then I can get a probability score, right? Which sounds similar right. to what, you know, Einstein is doing with its lead scoring or behavior scoring. Uh, but uh, supervised machine learning doesn't just include general linear models like Salesforce or Pardot is doing right now. I think it's just logistic and, and linear regression. Got it. A, 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 a supervised machine learning capability would include all sorts of fancy things that most people have never heard of. Like, uh, well, deep learning is something most people have heard of now, but deep, feed learning. deep learners, deep learning, or things like uh, different tree models, distributed random forest, or, you know, stochastic gradient descent models like xg boost and stuff like this i know yeah. this is like super like a, geek stuff yeah it's like but, but this is this is what you know squark does 
on Salesforce data that Salesforce doesn't do on its own data. It, it's doing like uh-huh. mat tab and mini tab, like, you know, classical statistical modeling, right? Uh, and they even told us this yesterday, right? Uh, they don't have learning per se in the product yet, but they do a lot of probability scoring. So not to digress too so, much. As so yeah, to- supervised was, hey, this is what works. This is what doesn't work. You know, figure out the patterns, go to town. Unsupervised, you're like, task focused. So unsupervised, an unsupervised machine learner uh, or a capability would uh, focus on a task and, you know, it would change the way it works uh, based on the data you introduce to it, but it doesn't have that learning component. An example of that might be clustering. So think about if I wanted to do uh, cluster data sets together. Maybe I had survey surveys and people who took surveys and their responses. Well, I could run a uh, clustering algorithms, you know, like a, mm. a K nearest neighbor, a K medioids, a, a K, a, you know, a K means clustering model. And I mm. could determine which of the answers are most in common with other answers across the survey. Or even a simpler example would be like a, a traditional market basket analysis. So, um, you know, retailers do this all the time. They want to know if somebody buys bread, do they buy butter or do they buy milk, right? Or peanut butter. Uh, or peanut butter, right? Yeah. Affinity analysis uh, allows you to understand the co-occurrences of items, right? Whereas a clustering analysis allows you to understand the co-occurrences of data sets. So that type of task-focused you know, outcome where you're, you're introducing new data to the algorithm and it's doing the clustering differently or doing the affinity differently uh, is unsupervised, where you're taking labeled data that has known outcomes in the from the past and you're learning from it to be that's able to build a model right? predict that's supervised and Got that's okay. if you think of what a, what, a, what does a car have to do so a car has to remember right or it has to know that that's a stop sign it has to know that that's a human it has to know that these are the roads oh, like a, like so, a programmed one like a program car an autonomous vehicle right yeah, yeah, yeah. of course an autonomous vehicle so supervised machine learning is part of how um autonomous vehicles are trained oh, you know got it. and then there's a whole bunch of different uh algorithms underlying these various uh approaches you know the big hype these days is you read all about deep learning you know yeah, yeah what's the deal now what is that what is deep learning uh deep learning i uh, you know fundamentally is you know it's supervised machine learning it's uh, representing the, the learning and decisioning process in the same way that a, a human brain works. So if, you know, this gets into the geeky stuff, but you know, there's neurons and there's, you know, layers, input and output huh. and hidden layers within a neural network. And it's, uh, it's, it's an attempt by, you know, computational uh, experts to, to mimic, um, you know, the way biology works and neurons in the brain and decisioning works. And the reality is like uh, even the best uh, deep, learning experts don't really have a hundred percent clue of how we're making these decisions. It's certainly all math based, but even surfacing things like which neurons are most important in your neural network is a very, very difficult right. problem. You know, so as long as the guys doing deep problem. learning don't hang out with the guys from Boston Robotics, then we'll be good, right? Yeah. <laughs> well there's different types of neural networks too. So when we start to talk about machine vision, you know, we're looking at mm-hmm. convolutional neural networks where, you know, are, are different than say like a, a feed forward deep learner that's like a multi-layer perceptron. This is super geek stuff. I don't want to bore everybody with it, but a convolutional neural network would be what we use for image and video recognition where, you know, there's something like a recurrent neural network that's really good for like temporal data. This is called an RNN. And then 
uh, perhaps some of you guys have seen um, the uh, deep fakes where, you know, you have um, Donald Trump saying Obama things or Obama oh, saying oh, Donald yeah, Trump yeah. things, right? You know what I'm talking about? The videos so, or, where the mouths are moving and a person actually didn't say any of that. Correct. And yeah. so generative adversarial networks like GANs are, you know, the technology that are, are partly used to do that. So, you know, this whole idea of deep learning has a, or neural networking has a lot of different types and styles and more and more are coming out uh, in, in the research, uh, you know, uh, institutions uh, probably every day. Right. So, uh, you know, deep learning is something that people talk a lot about. Uh, why? Why do they talk a lot about it? Because all I was able to basically get from that is that it's really complicated. It's based on math and neurons. Well, but you're asking me, so I'll probably overcomplicating it as I. Well, no, that's why. But what's the implication? Like, where does this and even the future? Where does that? What do you see? You know, you've got this yeah. knowledge and where this is going. This technology. What? What comes out of this? Well, I think the whole idea of the Elon Musk dystopia is completely overrated. Uh, I think what's underrated is Wait, know, that's you know, heresy, man. You, such is life. I, I yes, such is so, life. You know? How so is it overrated? Uh, because the idea of you know having a singularity or a, you know an omniscient intelligence, you know, like oh, what he's so what yeah, he's that, that, about that's just, yeah, what, that dis, the dystopia, right? It's overrated. The dystopia, the that AI is going to take all our jobs and you know imprison us and you know create terminators and Skynet. You know, he's that is just worried about that. Yeah. You know, and not you know, smoke weed on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, which we're not doing here. No, uh, but we're going to talk about some equally deep subjects, right? That's right. So uh, we're drinking water here. <laughs> we're drinking coffee over here. So it's a hardcore marketing show. I don't know. It is, it is hardcore. So office complex would appreciate it though. There, there's, you know, Musk is sort of saying, you know, we, we, we've got to, you know, prevent the world from being destroyed by AI. And I understand where he's coming from because, you know, I remember in the 90s when people were talking about Operation Echelon and the global surveillance network, everybody's paranoid that, you know, we're going to have no freedom as the result. It right. hasn't come to light. As a matter of fact, you know, the, the trickle down of technology has probably made us more autonomous in some countries and maybe less so in others. Um, so I think it's going to depend a lot on government and regulation and not just on innovation. So, for example, like uh, people, uh, there are knife makers, right? And like, people stab each other. They don't blame the knife maker. I mean, True. when you start talking about weapons and guns, right, there's a guns, whole political argument there. Same but thing with people, AI, then. People kill people with a lot of different things. Mm. Um, and yeah, certainly AI can be used to do better drone image recognition and targeting and stuff like that for governments. Sure. And, you know, it's kind of outside of the topic of this. But, you know, obviously any technology can be used for um, doing bad but I think, you know, that, that there's a lot of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt around AI right now. And the reality is AI is in the short term uh, and maybe the medium term and has made our cancer's long term world dead. So in the medium and short term, I think it's going to be for us, it's going to be an augmenter, right? Machine intelligence is going to augment we marketers to be able to make better decisions about our business, to be able to focus on the, the data and the outcomes that matter. And just to be able to, you know, steer looking forward into that into that windshield as opposed to looking backward in the rear view mirror and right. I keep using that metaphor. Uh, so the idea of, you know, human augmentation with AI, that's, that's really underrated. Uh, so the idea that, you know, not only can I predict which leads are going to convert, right. I can then predict which offers to send them in a multiple right. classification out of the 20 offers or, you know, I'm a retailer and 
uh, I have loyalty card information. Now I can predict, uh, you know, pr do predictive segmentation and predict what, you know, say trip type uh, right. is going to be taken. So for example, Walmart uses multinomial classification to predict which of 48 different trip types someone is going to be right before they walk into the store. It's good to really? know. Right? Yeah. Wait, what's the deal with this? They have 48. So this is, supposedly. Supposedly. Yeah. Uh, so, and I've seen some of this data. It's publicly available. You can look at it. Uh, it's not something you got off some, you know, dark website and no, no, no. In the hardcore marketing show. No, I, right, I tell me about I, it. What, what? I've never, I've never actually used Tor. You know, I haven't uh, either. <laughs> and I, I kind of missed the boat on crypto, uh, though a friend of mine who did use Tor and did buy crypto uh, made a boatload of money that has since kind of you know. As long as you didn't buy anything on Silk Road. <laughs> Who knows? Who I didn't knows? ask. I, I, I wouldn't expect that, but you know, he had the crypto uh, a long time ago. Uh, but we digress. What was your question again, Casey? Walmart. <laughs> Walmart, yeah. So types? 48. Uh, like, are you a grocery shopper? Are you a school shopper? Are you a weekly shopper? Are you a daily shopper? Are you a clothes shopper? So, you know, Walmart can use machine learning to predict based on purchase, purchase uh, uh, data, you know, skews, right. you know, other things like perhaps um, the, the the PPI, the CPI, the cost of gas, like, you know, what trip are you likely to take next? And if they can predict that across, you know, their uh, retail, uh, uh, you know, going audience, right, store, in-store going audience, well, they can make better decisions if they know in a certain geography, you know, the majority of these people are looking for groceries or, you know, they can figure out seasonality yeah. better if they start to see a preponderance of school shoppers predicted to come in. Sure, they can so, plan their store design too and where things are placed to make it either harder or easier for you. Uh, absolutely. There's a whole bunch of companies that are using video mm. uh, and tracking how people move around in the store using Wi-Fi signals and cameras to determine like what are the optimal paths you walk through in a store to maximize, you know, what people put in their basket and, you know, average order value. Or, uh, you right. I've seen that in tracking. airports, but stores make yeah. so much more different. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, a uh, few different companies I'm aware of that are doing that right now and doing real innovative things. And some of them are taking the, the you know, not to digress too much, but they're taking that digital analytics approach where think yeah. about, you know, you have a landing page, which is like your, the way you get into your store. And then you have a click stream, right? You click through different uh, pages or through different events that allow you to get uh, to the point of where you're putting something in your shopping cart and you're buying. Well, if you can think, think of a, you know, somebody going to a store and doing something similar, right? Where they're, uh, the landing page is the entrance, you know, the pages are the aisles, right? The shopping right. cart, right? Is obviously the shopping cart, um, that predates the internet, I think. And you're putting stuff in your basket. You're keeping track of that with sensors or it's tied back to your loyalty card. And then you're, you know, you have to pick a line, right? And you have to wait. And then you go through and then you convert. So there's a lot of, you know, commonality with some of the digital um, ways behaviors measured that then can be put on top of a retail store environment huh. and um, understood in similar ways. And there's some folks out there doing that right now. Huh. So, yeah. So Walmart does, does apparently do that. And there's some public. They're like buyer personas at Walmart. Who would have thought? Smart. Yeah, but exactly. But using, um, data that you a marketer typically wouldn't um, have the ability to, or, or would be difficult to include, you know? Interesting. Like uh, what, like just what you bought, what you per picked up the, the price of oil, right. As I was mentioning, like, oh, right. price index, like, you know, what the weather is within the last, you know, a couple days, um, you know, lots of wow, that's the next level. That's like next level of that. And that's what, you know, the machine learning and AI, you know, essentially can help you 
do. So instead of just doing a, a, a forecast with, you know, a bunch of revenue or lead numbers on a time series, well, right. you know, I can take in a whole bunch of other data into a model and, and consider categories of things and, and, you know, other different data as relevant. Sure. Right. So, you know, instead of just saying, oh, here's our store sales and, you know, based on that, I'm going to forecast, uh, you know, this, I could, I can use, um, I could use buyer persona information at the detail level, or I could use, uh, you know, other transactional information about the products or the categories or the stores, or, you know, what's happening in the, the macroeconomic environment or uh, really anything that you believe to be causative, right? Anything you believe to be a leading right. indicator to what you're trying to predict put it in the model and, uh, you know, let the algorithm sort it out, which kind of, yeah. Yeah. Which, which brings me to the point about does the data need to be clean now, any model garbage in garbage out, but the Mm -hmm. reality with, you know, machine learning is that if you have a squark or you have a data scientist and actually knows how to do this stuff, you'll be able to identify which variables are most important in your data. Right. Right. And, and, let's put it this way. If you have a column of data that you believe to be causative and it's full of a bunch of garbage, mm-hmm. um, it's really unlikely that, you know, it's going to come up as one of the most important variables statistically that, that are important to what you're trying to predict. Got right. It. So, so even machine learning, you know, again, garbage in garbage out, but even machine learning can help you uh, perhaps identify where you might have a need to clean some of that data because what you believe to be causative actually isn't showing up as causative. And maybe, that's the fact it just isn't causative and it, it, it disrupts your, your, you know, human generated belief, or maybe it's just a, a column of crappy data. Right. And right. It has that influence over it, though. It makes sense to be aware of that. That's right. Huh? Huh? Well, I, I like the fact that we're talking about it's augmented intelligence. I think AI got picked up quick by marketing to say like, Oh, we've all got AI, but it's not Skynet. It's not, it's not data from the start, you know, the Starship Enterprise, mm-hmm. um, but it can help us. So I, I could see there being a little bit of that, I don't say backlash, but, you know, oh, AI, but yet it's not an autonomous sentient being and people being like, what's this malarkey? But no, no, it's that augmented intelligence side of it, yeah. which, which is the sky's the limit on that side. Yeah. So, you know, we look at it for, at structured data. You know, there's a lot of data in spreadsheets, you know, that, data. Pe- yeah. Yeah, that people have mastery over. And, you know, if you can identify an outcome you want to predict and you can very quickly, you know, drag and drop it into a, a SAS. Right. And then all the work that a data scientist would normally done is abstracted and done behind the scenes for you with more algorithms, uh, with more um, uh, technique automatically applied to get, you know, the best quality predictions. Well, that's a win for a lot of marketers. And that, right. that is, that is essentially what we're, we're solving for. I uh, having a lot of great success doing it. So it's an exciting time to be an AI and, you know, uh, can I do another digression here? Yeah. Does it involve star Wars or anything cool like that? It actually is kind of cool like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's do it. So we'll do this digression. So the idea of you know, <laughs> uh, human augmentation and non dystopias and, you know, helping people make better decisions. Well, I was on a, a panel. Okay. Uh, in Boston, uh, at General Assembly, uh, which is a lifelong, you know, adult education institute. I've been there. Some yeah. cool, some cool sessions. Absolutely. Super cool. They, um, you know, if you want to become a, a product manager and you're an engineer, you want to, you're a product manager, you want to become an engineer or a data scientist, they will 
you know, teach you a curriculum and, and get wow. you on the path to doing that. And it's, I know it's helped a lot of people. Great company. Is it just also, in Boston? You know, that's a great question. I actually think they might have a, a national or, or maybe even a global presence at this point. It's called General Assembly? General Assembly, yeah. Okay, cool. And they're also generous with the community as they, you know, allow you to kind of rent out or, or hook you up with spaces. So yeah. I got involved with a, a group in Boston uh, and they invited me to, to be on a panel. And so there was a panel of, uh, it was me, right? Uh, the chief architect of Wayfair, which is, you know, oh, wow. Boston, you know, global e-commerce success story, right? 5,500 people in mm-hmm. Copley Place, 13,000 people all over the world. A zillion things, right? A very cool company. Uh, and they had a great guy, their chief architect, Ben Clark there. And then uh, uh, Microsoft's product manager for Azure Machine Learning. Not a data oh, scientist, right? But like a, like a, a product manager at Microsoft. Yeah. His name yeah, was Boykin. Yeah. Very, very brilliant guy. Uh, and then uh, the CEO uh, and, and co-founder of a company called uh, Tala, which has a, a workflow capability that involves AI. And, you know, uh, a moderator. So we're up, you know, in front on some stools. We're, you know, about 20 minutes into what was supposed to be an hour-long panel with a 30-minute discussion when uh, a gentleman in the audience uh, stood up and started, you know, exclaiming rather passionately and loudly and, and really screaming and shouting with a little bit of, quite a bit actually, of lunacy that we, all of us, were, you know, killers and terrorists because we're AI executives. Wow. Right? Yeah. So we got protested. Uh, and this guy was sort of saying, you know, AI can be used in these dystopian ways to do this stuff. And, uh, you know, I can't say that, you know, he's wrong, right? Because, you know, like I said, knives can be used for a lot of different things besides mm-hmm. cutting your Cooking. sandwich, yeah. right? Uh, but he was very adamant that, you know, AI is going to destroy everything. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of off the wall. So, wow. you know, I tried to, yeah, I tried to what engage. What was that like? You, you're just like, that doesn't happen at business events either, right? Like, no, for, I've spoken about a hundred. Yeah, marketing event or even a data event and everyone's just chill. The worst you get is some annoying guy in the back to ask the dumb question that everyone's like, dude, oh, he's trying to pitch his own product while he's asking the question. That's the worst it can get. And then, so this guy stands up, he starts blasting you guys. Are you scared? I'd be like, these are great questions. So um, <laughs> where, where do I begin to answer? First of all, uh, I no, I've never been protested before <laughs> ever. Uh, certainly in a business event like that. Right. Uh, and you know, it, I think it was a rad, rather unrighteous and incorrect assertion that he was making. Agree. Uh, but, but, you know, I actually probably engaged him a little bit more than I should in retrospect because I was very happy to, you know, yield the floor and hear his questions and, and try to answer them with, you know, logic and, and, you know, kind of advance the conversation to move us away from this, you know, BS sure. be a thing that gets hyped in the, in the media uh, and in certain circles. Uh, but he just wasn't having it. You know, he just wanted to rant and rave. Got and, it. You know, I, I yep. kept trying to give him the floor or, you, you know, he's trying to defeat him with logic. And, you know, I so you're trying to debate a crazy person, essentially. Or, or he, he might have been crazy, but he was certainly passionate about it. I would probably okay. lean towards the former. And with well, a little Mr. Bit Passion needs to chill for a second and have yeah, a yeah. conversation. Maybe he'll learn something for once. Yeah. That's right. And so We're that's the hardcore marketing show. <laughs> hardcore. Let's be hardcore here. And so what happened was, um, uh, you know, security got called. Yeah. 
as, as he's ranting and raving and security is getting there, you know, people who are sitting around him, right? This is probably like 200 people there, maybe wow, like. they have security at General Assembly? Uh, what is it, very, Boston PD? Uh, well, that, that, I'll tell the story. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, sorry. So, I'm excited. This is cool. So, you know, security, like you'd see in a, an office building. You know, oh, right, right, right. Here with like, you know, down the, down the main floor taking IDs and they got, you know, a blue sport jacket on with a little badge. Or yeah, something. yeah. You know, those, those that's security. Boxes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All cops, yeah. Our office building cops. And uh, essentially, you know, as he's ranting and raving, and I could tell that the, the sort of a proctor, maybe the General Assembly proctor was calling somebody on their cell phone, you know, all the people around this person started to like get up and move, you know, so now he's kind of no longer surrounded by people in the rows. He's actually, you know, standing there alone. Do you right? get this on video? That'd be sick. I, I, bet, I bet there's a video. I haven't asked for it, though. But literally, he's got a big trucker hat on, and he's he's kind of ranting, he's pointing at me, and he's ranting and raving. And you know, at this point, I kind of tried not to engage him in dialogue anymore. I think the last thing I said, he was just trying to accuse us of this thing. I said, you know, do you pay taxes? And he's like, yes, yes. And the point I was trying to make is, you know, our tax money is spent in a lot of different ways too, right? So, um, you know, kind of the abstraction of reality. How far back do you trace, you know, attribution, right? To, to what he was kind of emphasizing there. Wow. But anyway, the uh, security came. He actually tried to, 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 I can't say fight off security, but he tried what? to melee with them a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he was pushing them away. And the, I remember the security guard was, you know, kind of not hugging him, but kind of hovering over him. And this, this took like 10 minutes. This was a big old scene, right? And uh, eventually he realized the police were on their way and they were either in the building or coming up and he decided to kind of go with security. And I heard that the police didn't come, but I don't actually know if that was true. Yeah. So he, he exited. And then, you know, um, we were left, you know, somewhat shell-shocked <laughs> as to what happened to kind of recover the yeah. panel. And so what I did is I turned it into this conversation about ethics in AI. Oh, and okay. So, you know, we're recording this, what, on April 5th uh, on a Friday? I believe that Google just kind of blew up, or no, no pun intended, Google dis- uh, uh, disintermediated or, or, or stopped their AI ethics, you know, group because of, you know, conflicts of interest and stuff. So I tried to move the conversation into ethics with AI. And, uh, you know, as a result, it kind of, you know, it, it caused me as an AI executive to kind of think, you know, two things. One, you know, we, meaning the AI industry, needs to do a much, much better job of communicating the benefit of these technologies. Like, you know, what Squark does is, you know, take structured data and soon images and video, right? But structured data right now and build you the best quality prediction so you can make a, a decision, you know, which campaign should I send to this user? Which product should I send? Um, what's the probability of retention or churn? What's the, what's the predicted lifetime value, right? We do this right. in minutes. And these, these are things that aren't going to destroy the world. If anything, they're going to make customers more joyful. They're going to make marketers more successful. They're going to make companies more money. They're going to cause growth of those companies to hire more people and, you know, uh, improve the, the, the you know, GDP, right? Mm -hmm. AI is going to improve the destinies in the, 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 uh, the, the destinies of humanity and destinies of cultures. So, uh, you know, I, first I thought AI in the industry needs to do a much better job of, of, you know, communicating the, the positive benefits. It, it's real easy to uh, scare people and, and talk about all the negative stuff. It's a lot right. harder to, you know, explain how this stuff is going to be used in the, the use cases today in 2019. They're going to help make a difference. 
Uh, and then the other thing I thought is like, to your point about violence, like as an AI executive, do I actually want to do, you know, public non-curated discussions anymore? Like this is, you know, a great group of folks, you know, um, you know, that, that hosted us there, but you know, it was largely an uncurated list. Like anybody off the street could have signed up, you know, and shown up there. It's true. And, uh, uh, that's that's a little scary. Now, fortunately, we live in Massachusetts, right? Casey saw Terminator, you know, reruns that night before on TNT. You know, yeah. There's there's a lot of uh, crazy people out there and a lot of weapons. But fortunately, where we live in Massachusetts has you know some of the strongest gun control laws in the country, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you know fifteen hundred bucks and five days of training just to get your FID card, right? To to go and hold a gun at Dick's Sporting Goods. Wait, you mean if you so, do it legally? Uh, just anyway, just saying. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> True. Let's assume legality, right? And these people are buying guns on the street. But, you know, as a result, you know, we have fewer gun crimes, right? In Massachusetts, there's less guns on the street. Now, of course, there's criminal unlicensed guns. So it didn't immediately occur to me, right? That, that, you know, this guy is going to pull out a gack and start firing at me. But it did occur to some of my colleagues in the audience who are a little concerned about that. So, um, yeah, anyway, a great digression here. Uh, you know, related to some of the FUD that gets, you know, pushed out. If the- I was there, like Marine mode would have been kicking in and be like, okay, what am I going to do? Where are the exits? Okay. And then this guy, I'm going to sneak up behind him, throw my arms around him. Just make sure he doesn't have his, his finger on one of those buttons, you know? Uh, yeah. Number one, thank you for your service, Casey. I didn't oh, know you were yeah, raised, no. so that's pretty awesome. Wish uh, I was there, man. I would have tackled him for you. Definitely. You could, you could have taken him out. You could have put yeah. on some. You're, you're, the, you're the real James Bond, clearly. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you. He could, you could have taken him out, but that was a horrible yeah, shot, Connery. I, I think I think it was also exacerbated by the fact that there was a, a vendor in there who kind of had a booth. And what they do is they have an AI that will like automatically like scale up your data center and shut down your data center. Oh. And like the, the tagline was like uh, something on it's like no need to go into your IT war room anymore. And so hmm. you know I, that could have set him off. But in terms of AI executives being responsible. Like, why do we even have to talk about a war room? I get people have war rooms in IT, but when you're starting to combine, you know, artificial intelligence and war room, you know, the semiotics aren't good, right? The science signified is just not good. So that could have set them off. Sure. That being said, you know, explaining what AI is and how it can impact marketers and business people uh, beyond the pie in the sky, you know, um, FUD and, you know, high level Mm -hmm. use cases uh, it's something that the AI industry needs to do a lot better of. And it's, it's like why we, we created Squark, right? And, and we're, we're doing it yeah. for business. So who signs up for Squark? Say great question. Yeah. Uh, so we have a bunch of customers at this point. Um, like is so, it the marketers signing up? Do we need to get IT involved? Who? No. Who so for, first of all, it's a, yeah. a great question. Business, the business. business uh, side, marketers. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, SVPs, VPs of marketers, they use it. Uh, they may delegate it to their analysts, but the idea is, you know, there are a lot of uh, marketers who are underserved by their analytics teams. They're underserved by their IT teams. Or don't have one. Uh, or they don't have one and they don't have, you know, data scientists or, or capabilities to do this. And if they can, you know, very quickly uh, create predictions in their business, they believe that, you know, they can make better decisions. So Squark right. exists for that. You know, it's like a, it's a cool. SaaS. We do a free credit card trial. It's very inexpensive at the current time compared to, you know, some other folks that might offer, I don't think anyone offers similar capabilities, but you know, of course we have. Yeah. And, uh, it was worth trying things uh, out. You know, it's minimal cost, minimal risk and you're up and running in a minute. Very cool, man. Very cool. Exactly. Exactly. It was a squirk. 
Q-A-R-K.ai. Yep, that's one way to get it. Uh, yeah, Squark.ai. Or you can go to SquarkAI.com slash free dash trial. Yeah, we have both. Oh, okay, okay. That, say it. that second one again because that was a good one. You said uh, Squark AI. So S Q U A R K A I dot com slash free dash trial. And cool. you know, sign up. We we prefer not to respond to Gmail addresses, so use your business address, right? Yeah. And you basically will get. We give everybody. What about Hotmail? Do you? What do you do with that? Uh, you know, Hotmail. No, well, no I do Hotmail. Yahoo. Just Yahoo mail, automatically no. rejected, right? Yeah, well. It depends on the name of the person because, you know, we'll, we'll look at what the, the CRM says and we may call them up. You know, Right, right. Do a little data. Like yeah. 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 But the idea being yeah, – exactly. And if, you're, if your listeners, you know, want, uh, you know, obviously free access we give to anybody. But if they want more time, just tell them when they fill out the form to mention they, they heard about uh, Squark on the Hardcore Marketing Show. On, we'll the show. on the show of shows. Yes. Say hi. Right? So – you know, this is really good, and we're going to put these in the show notes as well. Uh, but one thing I want to get to was ask you who you are and where you came from, and and guess what? We actually know each other from the past, and I didn't re- remember this until we just got on here today. But um, Web Analytics Wednesdays, yeah, and the DAT and all that. I looked at my email. There's a bunch of yeah, yeah. Old school. We got connected like 2011. Um, yep. Web analytics demystified, you know, with Eric and all of that. So we've kind of been in the same analytics circle for a while. Um, yeah. Back full circle. And we look like each other. Imagine that. And we actually do for those who can see the video. Uh, <laughs> in our prep call, I was uh, unavailable for a video call because of my location. But uh, I, I looked in the mirror. Yeah, as I was looking at the screen, and I said, "That's what I thought." I looked in the mirror, and I saw my beautiful self, and I realized it was you. That thank you. Uh, we both have the beards. We both have the hat. We both got the hoodies, and we have just that that little peppering of gray in our beard, right? That denotes the wisdom. But you're absolutely right. I knew your name, and I I hadn't had the time to kind of go and dig into it, right? uh, Primarily because you know, uh, it's a memorable name. It's alliteration, right, Casey? Likewise, yeah, Judah Phillips. The Cheshire Cat. Ah, yes, indeed. Completely remembered from Alistair. Yes, thank you. So yeah, back in the day from about 2006 to to 2012 or so, I ran a a social networking event in Boston that was focused on like web and digital analytics. It changed names over the time as the players changed. Uh, But it was, you know, we'd get anywhere between, it started with six people and it went up to 190 people. And then it was, it was really hard for me to kind of keep it keep it maintained. I, I, you know, I didn't earn anything off it ever. You know, right. I was always constantly trying to get like sponsors for it. And it just right. became, you know, kind of something I couldn't continue to focus on with the growth of my businesses and the effort. Totally. But I love to reconvene that group at some point and maybe we can do it under your brand and, you know, sort of the, uh, marketing show. I love to do yeah, that. Do meet up. Make it, you make it like an alumni weekend. Exactly. Exactly. Analysts back together. That's right. So to answer your question, though, where, where did I come from? Yeah, or take me back, like little Judah. You know, how did you become yeah, so the analytics wizard? How did I become the analytics wizard? Um, well, first of all, I think anybody who has a perception of success from anyone else has probably failed a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's probably right? true. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I've, I've had an interesting career of, you know, some successes and, you know, some failures. And I think, you know, I, I'm a person who learns from, 
uh, both of those things. And I, I really think failure is the mother of success. So I think the reason mm -hmm. I'm in the position to talk to you today and, you know, have written the three books and, you know, I've been, you know, I mean, I'm you know, invited to as a professor at these various great schools in Boston is, is probably because I was willing to put myself out there and, and you know, take a chance and, and fail and also succeed and learn from that. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, who I am is I'm definitely someone who embraces failure and people who have failed in the past. Right. And, and uh, I see that as the mother of success. But, you know, talk to I sure if you talk to Zuckerberg, uh, the late jobs or, or Bezos uh, or Buffett, I mean, or Gates, they'd all probably agree, you know, um, that right. you, you got to try things. You got to be willing to fail. Obviously, if you're constantly failing, something's a problem. <laughs> yeah. But you got you got to be willing to experiment, right? Even with marketers, right? A/B testing, multivariate testing. What you learn in failure of those tests is almost as important as to how well you've done. So, so knowing that, yeah. Uh, back in the day, when I was in the a boy in the '80s, uh, my dad uh, started getting me computers. You know. Uh, and I really remember falling in love with the Commodore Amiga. So that kind of dates me. You know, it does. It makes you a little bit older than me, but I'm, I'm with you I'm on the Apple II. Yeah. I'm a, yeah, yeah, I'm a Gen Xer. That was, yeah, that actually, the Amiga came out, I think, uh, around the same time, a little after that. Literally, okay. it was, you know, 512K, you know, you had to expand it. It had, you know. Floppy, an actual floppy disk. Two. two. You had to use you a, had a two, small. Right? Yeah, you had to use like a, a kickstart, a small three and a quarter inch floppy disk to kind of get all the, like the bios up and running. And then it was yeah, literally then, a startup disk. They call yeah, it yeah, yeah. now, but it, it used it to be called kickstart. Yeah. And then you would put in another disk called workbench and that would kind of bring up this wow. windows, like, you know, Apple like emulator. Uh, but it was really like a GUI though. It was just, it was a green and black screen. Uh, and it was actually like the great thing about the Amiga. And for those who are familiar with it is um, it had, you know, some inordinate number of colors, you know, like 256,000 colors or whatever. And one of the things that they would give Jeez. you in, is in the, in the, in the workbench, which was literally like a windows like application is they had digitized uh, King Tut's mask. And it looked, you know, even to this day, it looks super hot. Like if you type in Amiga King Tut, like you'll see the image that still exists on the web. And so I, you know, uh, we actually got a printer, this NEC CP seven printer and, uh, you know, try, hooked it up, these giant cables, you know, just ridiculously huge compared to what we have now. You can barely lift them. And, you know, it's a dot matrix printer. It's on like a track, right. you know, and the thing didn't work. So my dad called up the, uh, the, the, the shop we bought it from. And they essentially walked me and my dad through like the assembler code. We'd like type it in. I had no idea what I was doing. I don't think he did right. either. Uh, and then we saved it and, you know, put it into the right uh, directory and lo and behold, all of a sudden our Amiga was like spitting out, you know, <laughs> printed stuff. And you know, I got a modem. It was like, you know, some, I want to say it was like a 512 baud or some ridiculous, you know, yeah. low speed modem, you know, it, it's crazy. Dee -dee 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 -dee, you know, then it connects. You're like and, straight from that war game movie. It literally was just like that. And, yeah. and similar to like Matt Broderick and War Games, you know, you had these things called bulletin board systems. Yeah. And BBSs, you dial up and they were like text-based and you could go into different, um, you know, like Usenet was still around then. But, you know, you could go into different threaded categories about certain topics, you know, like um, the beach or, you know, like 60s rock and roll or something. And you could like leave messages and talk to people oftentimes in real time in chat environments. Uh, Did they have chat environments or was it just like that? It like was, it, 
it was similar like you know instant messaging you know back in the day you dial up but it was through the modem and you you know you would be able to not only post and respond but you could you know have threaded discussions and like real-time chats with people back then so you know i'm like uh, how old was i i was probably like 11 or 12 okay you know so i'm literally like talking to all these people um and honestly all the same uh all the same dangerous things that you had to worry about, you have to worry about with your kids now on the web existed then. And, you know, uh, we won't go into that, but you know, sketchy people offering sketchy things and giving you access to sketchy photos and, you know, trying to entice you to, you know, meet them and stuff. I mean, all that stuff. So I I learned about that sort of literacy very early on. As a matter of fact, (laughs) I, um, I was probably like 15 or 16 and I met, you know, uh, you know, a couple females uh on the on the web yeah Yeah, literally craigslist literally literally and i remember just my friend runs a pe firm now in colorado and uh we were just chatting and he mentioned to me hey do you remember like when we met those girls on you know off the internet (laughs) and we're like we met at a we met at like a a, a diner you know and they were all very nice and it was just like a very innocent meetup like oh we were all awkward and you know totally like 15 or 16 that's cool though you mean people that were all on that bulletin board Exactly. He basically said to me, Casey, you know, you're the first one I ever met who who actually talked to anybody on the internet and met up with them, you know, and this was in 1989 or something like that or 90. Man, you're a, so, yeah, you're an adventurer. Yeah, I'm an early innovator in social media, apparently, you yeah. know, social media. So that really got me started with computers. And then uh, when I got into college, uh, you know, I, I became enamored. I became enamored. Uh, I don't know if you heard that noise, Casey, if you wanted to start. I didn't hear anything. Okay. Uh, but I became enamored with, you know, uh, the idea of technology. I had a Smith Corona word processor that, you wow. know, that, that, you know, I didn't take the Amiga with me to college. That eventually became a Macintosh. Like, I can't use the Smith Corona. And then, you know what? Amiga, I looked up that image you're talking about. That is a legit image of King Tut. Yeah, totally. And like, yeah. that was like 1985, you know, like. Do you think someone hand coded each one of those pixels? probably i mean you know that was that was what they used to demonstrate the graphical (laughs) totally and then i started getting html 1.0 and uh yeah uh, the rest is history you know i i I got an offer to work at a a startup in amherst massachusetts after college that was doing information retrieval which was pre google you know and i said to people i do information retrieval they actually thought i was talking about the movie brazil with robert de niro where there was like a group called information retrieval. And if this is such an esoteric film reference, most people right. understand. But, you know, they didn't call it search. Like eBay was auction web. I remember when the engineers came in and said, look at the cool stuff Google, the Stanford's doing, and it was Google. Uh, and what we were doing is we were productizing a toolkit that sat on President Clinton's desk to search the congressional record uh, that was used by the Library of Congress. Wow. To index all their data. And we were trying to product, and we actually successfully productized it such that it was a CD-ROM install, right, on a Windows desktop. It typically was Unix or Linux, uh, you know, run prior to that. Wow. Um, and this is like pre, I mean, literally, there was no SEM. There was no SEO. Yeah. Like in, in the late 90s, I had a company that did like uh, search engine ranking. That's what we called it. And it was all like, literally, the stuff we did then, Casey, you cannot do now because you no. will be blacklisted. These are things like- Banned. Keyword, yeah, fast, yeah. yeah, keyword stuffing, you know, link farms, um, you know, just, you know, a lot of link sharing back and forth. Um, just, just, you know, meta tags being over stuff with keywords, you know, like putting the, you know, 
the same word that you wanted to link, rank high uh, in the footer in all white text in one point font. I mean, stuff that you cannot do now, that was the state of the art then and it worked really well. Um, wow. And it, it was pre-Google. So, yeah. you know, that kind of got me started. And then, um, you know, through all the economic cycles that we've seen since I started in software in 1997, I've been through. And, I, you know, to the point of learning from your failures, you know, I saw companies I, that I, the startup yeah. that I worked for get acquired and, you know, by a publicly traded company, which then sold off all its assets and became a technology agnostic internet professional services firm. Jeez. And then went bankrupt. Oh, geez. You know, and, and I wasn't yeah. going to go and take a job cut. So I'm going to start my own business and do my own thing. So, uh, you know, I'm relentless. I guess that's who I am. And I have goals and I, I go for them. And um, I, I, I get it done. Get it done, man. Get it done. And now I'm just enamored with this, this AI, you know, and this ML stuff yeah. for the last, last four years or so. I mean, I, you know, getting me into that is, you know, my, I was I had my own consultancy, right? Prior to starting this, this software company and I was doing strategy. So like I'm the person the CMO would call up and be like, I don't understand any of this data. It's crap. But, you know, the analytics team isn't giving me what I need. I need like, right. I, need, I, I need you to listen to what my future state vision is. And I assess the future state against the current state, figure out the gaps, do a roadmap, do a reference architecture, help them select technology. And then maybe I'd bring my guys and implement it. Right. And I've done this for some of the largest companies that everybody knows in the Jeez. world. And I started to realize a lot of my strategy was around like, you know, started to become like me saying to them, Hey, you've got to do ML and AI and, yeah, you know, yep. you know oh, we're kind of doing that. And I realized that many AI projects, you know, costly software, um, the need for rare skill sets that are very expensive and hard for a lot of companies. Super to rare. Touch. Yeah. Super rare, especially like the, the sub 1 billion in revenue, you know, the mid market, the super corporates, so the mid markets, the SM. The rest of us. <laughs> Everybody else. Yeah. Everyone exactly. else. And so I said, you know, there's, there's got to be a need here. There's, there's a need here to solve for that, to democratize right. this capability for machine learning and AI uh, such that everybody has it. It's not just in the hands of the few. And so, you know, that's going to help business. That's going to help our country. That's going to help the economy. Uh, that's going to help people, you know, transition from the jobs they have now to mm -hmm. the jobs of the future. Like literally we can provide a capability where somebody who's never seen AI before, if I can teach them like one column is your label, all these columns you believe to be predictive of if the lead's gonna churn or not, just drag and drop and you get a better model than a data scientist could hand code in minutes, yeah. then we're gonna help the world. So the idea being, um, you know, at Squark AI that helps humanity, right? Uh, in, in giving it to everybody, but then I said everybody bought it, but I'm happy to give them free trials, right? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. So they you got to try things out and see what you think. Yeah, that's that's that that's going to help people, and that's going to, and and that was what a lot of the, the the challenge was, right? Right. A lot of need need for that, you know, data scientist, the need for the expensive software, the need to have like, you know, cross functional teams to do this in in you know big projects, and then to have long lead times to wait. You know, that, that might've been true two or three years ago, but today that's, that's no longer true. And right. so all the, all the sum culmination of my experiences have led me to this point of passion around, you know, using AI to, to go beyond being descriptive and diagnostic and looking in the rearview mirror to looking forward and being predictive and prescriptive and, and, you know, being that clairvoyant force in right. your company that knows what's going to happen before it happens. Like you'll know what happens before it happens. Uh, another great story. Like the data analytics whisperer, you know? Yeah. One of our, our it's kind of, it's kind of funny you say that because one of our, uh, 
key engineers, you know, he works on Harvard's convolutional neural network. He can tell you on day five, what, an, how an embryo will develop at day 37. Wow. Just, without knowing the rest, it's just, it's learning from a lot of images. Uh, we were saying, well, what should your title be? And he's like, chief robot whisperer. Yes. And we, we said, we said, sure, no problem. But then he came back a few days later and said, well, I talked to my friends and they said that was ridiculous. I was titled that. So, uh, it's almost I, as cool I, as chief awesome officer. I like that. That's the CAO. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be my new title. I like that. Absolutely, man. Well, on that note, where can people connect with you? You know, LinkedIn, Twitter. Where, where's the best places to reach out? And yeah, so you know, LinkedIn is always the best place to reach me. You know, okay. I'm, I'm Judah Phillips on LinkedIn. You know, yep. um, I accept invitations. Um, you know, if you're asking me to buy your stuff, like, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm cool with that. But here's the thing. I will ask you to buy my stuff first. Like if somebody emails me like, will you buy my software? I'm like, you know, uh, sure. You know, here, here's the link to my software, buy my software, and then we can talk. Right. Unless right. there's a real compelling need, you know? So right. I, I've got, I've got a few parlays from the sales teams who, who link in with me like touche, you know? Uh, but always willing to, and, and happy to link in with, you know, marketers, uh, so LinkedIn is great. I'm on Twitter. I've been on there long enough. I am literally at Judah, like my first name. What? Yeah, yeah, at Judah. Now I don't have a ton of I don't have a ton of followers there because I was on in like 2007, 2008, maybe through 2010, and then I just didn't totally believe in the Twitter platform. So I did like back. I did a private thing. I just went pri- I went no. private. Yeah, I went private for like two or three years. So during the big growth period of Twitter, I wasn't public, and so then I went public again and i post every so often okay know? it's usually uh it's usually stuff about the company or like art interesting articles um hey you don't have obvious- a beard in that photo on there either no i What's don't with that i don't i think i have long it looks good though you look like a wise sage when you have that on there that was actually a video interview at uh some some show in boston so i screen captured that yeah you got some killer sideburns on that that's right that's those that's the beer in in growing well, you got another follower here. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All right, guys, I'll, I'll follow you back. And then, of course, you guys can always email me at uh, Judah at SquarkAI. So S-Q-U-A-R-K-A-I.com. Uh, and those are really the easiest ways to, to get me. I'm always responsive on those channels. Uh, I, don't, I don't do the book face too much, you know, these days anymore. Um, I have an Instagram account. I'm the original Judah, but uh, I don't ever have, I haven't posted anything on it. Oh, you gotta get on that. Uh, you gotta put the fun stuff get on, on that. I gotta get on that. Do the fun that, stuff. You got some good filters. It'll it helps even people like us. Uh, well, I, I get admit, I did, <laughs> I, did, I did. I did post once on it, but I deleted it. So I was out in Boston, and uh, was it Jamba Juice or, or Naked yeah, Juice? One sure. of those like juice juice companies that sells those you know, kind of fairly overpriced juices, <laughs> yeah. uh, right? Had like the big liter bottle, and they were given away for free if you created an Instagram account and posted a picture and I of the, like the, the, like the, the booth. And I right. said, okay, wait a minute. I can, I can get, you know, a bottle if I get an Instagram account and post a picture of this juice. Right. And they said, yeah, we'll give you two. And I said, okay. So I took the picture. I created original Judah. I posted it. They gave me two bottles and I deleted it. So, uh, you know, marketers, sometimes those programs don't always work out. Right. Yep. Sometimes <laughs> they work. Sometimes they well, don't. You still shared it. Even if, yeah, 
temporarily, but I'm telling you about ROI on that one. But <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure because honestly, think of my top of mind recall. I, I think it was Naked Juice, but it might have been Odwalla. It right. Was, it's like those really good commercials. You have no idea who did any of them. Yeah. And the reality is that I buy the the Suja juice or whatever it's called. You know, the King of Greens. Oh, sure. I'll buy any For of those. Sure. They just have a lot less sugar. You know, a yeah. more pricey though. Yeah, sugar. Yeah. Well, cool, man. This has been awesome. You know, like I've learned a bunch and got like pages of notes here front and back. So thanks cool. for coming and schooling me up. And it's good to catch up too. 10 Definitely. plus later, eight, no, like 17 years later when we first met. It's just wild. That's wild. Oh. Well, you know, I, I, it's not going to be that long and I hope to, you know, maintain the relationship. And, oh, know, no, no, no. We're going to talk again in 17 years. So that's, it's worked right. so far. We'll just talk again in two decades. No, yeah, we'll keep up. 2036. We'll, we'll touch. keep in touch. And, you know, I'd love to show you how our stuff works on uh, uh, yeah. Salesforce and Pardot because we got users. That would be cool. I would love to see that. Yeah. Who just love it. They think it blows away what uh, Salesforce and Pardot are doing right now. We could now. do like a little um, little joint session. Maybe do a joint webinar together. That'd be fun. I would love to do that. You know, uh, let's, you know certainly we'll, we'll take on that investment ourselves with you and cool. you know, make it happen. I'd love to make do that. Make it happen, people. Make it make work. It happen, you know, do it. we'll be super successful. Absolutely. So, uh, just thrilled to have talked to you and in, in your audience today. I hope, um, you know, my, my digressions and, you know, somewhat non-linearness as we discussed all this stuff was uh, a good, a good thing to listen to as you guys commute into work or, or commute back home or totally. you know, just looking to learn a little bit more. And I'd love to hear from any of you guys who, who reach out, you know, mention that you're, you're a fan of Casey as I am and, and his company. And uh, I'll, I'll be smiling like the Cheshire cat. Yes. You know, yes, uh, and, and, you know, let's, let's help you, take your businesses to the next level with prediction to yeah totally man that's perfect that's perfect so hey if you if you learn something on this show share this with someone get that out to them so you can answer some questions check get, you know get click on the links in the show notes go check out the free trial check out all these different things learn i mean my brain is expanded today so hopefully yours has too and this has been the hardcore marketing show we'll see you all next time